more. So, uh, so as I get rolling into the sermon this morning, I'm going to show you another video. And uh, the, this video, it was um, put together, there's this YouTuber, his name is Microsoft Sam, and he noticed a theme of companies that were uh, making ads during the coronavirus. And these ads all sort of looked and sounded the same. So uh, you can take a look at, uh, at these ads and kind of what the pattern was right now. We'll show that video to you. first opened our doors since 1926 since 1978 for 60 years for 75 years for over 80 years in 90 years over 100 years nationwide has been on your side restaurants have always been there for you nissan has been with you through thick and thin we will do what we've always done take care of people we're people 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 the family 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 families 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 even now especially now especially now right now now more than ever more than ever today more than ever today more than ever in times like this at times like these during these difficult times in these troubled times challenging times trying times in these times of uncertainty during this time of great uncertainty during these uncertain times during these uncertain times in uncertain times in uncertain times uncertain times unprecedented times unprecedented times unprecedented times this unprecedented moment in our history it's time of social distancing while things have slowed down as we turn more inside while the doors may be closed while the distance between us has gotten bigger. The more we stay apart, we still find ways to stay close, even when we're apart. Even if we can't stand closer than six feet. We can all stay connected to work, school, and most importantly, to each other. There's still ways to touch each other. All without leaving the comfort and safety of your home. Without leaving the safety of your home. From home. 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 That's the key. Buick and GMC are here to help. Noticed a few themes that, <laughs> that lined up in all of those commercials. The idea being presented is, hey, times are uncertain. We are in the midst of unprecedented times. Nobody knows how we're going to move forward. And every one of those companies wants to have an answer for you. Every single one of them wants to provide the next step. They want to meet you in the middle of the uncertainty and take you to the other side. In fact, they're all vying for the little bit of money that you have left during the coronavirus so that it can go to them. Like, that's what they want. They want to make sure that you are the answer that they go to. And they all employ basically the same strategy. Hey, you know, things are really hard. Things are really hard, and so you know what? We're here to meet you in the middle of the hard and take you to the other side of this. 
And why do they do this? Like, why do these companies, uh, have, why have they honed in on this strategy? And the reason is because we are human beings. And struggle is no stranger to our experience. Like, this is something that we are very familiar with. And if they can call out the fact that we are all in the same struggle, like, we long for somebody to meet us in our struggle, for somebody to actually name what it is and take us to the other side of our struggle. We long for somebody to actually visit us in the midst of our struggle. And so the problem that we have with this ad and these series of ads is that these companies don't actually provide any real solutions to the struggle that we're facing. Like none of them are selling a cure to the coronavirus. They're all just kind of positioning themselves to be the ones who will take you to the other side. But at the end of the day, like their end goal is to get you to consume a product. Like that's what they want to do. And so, uh, so when they come, to meet us in our struggle, we're really enticed because they really empathize with us. They say the thing that, that, uh, that they really name the, the middle of our experience. But at the end of the day, like if we seek those to take us to the other side of this, that we're still going to be lacking. Like how is buying a car going to get you through the coronavirus? Like, it just doesn't make sense. And at the end of the day, like they are just as uncertain as we are about what's going on. Like, they meet everything that's going on with the same level of uncertainty, but they just want us to buy something from them. So, so we have this problem, which is we still have an unanswered question of who can effectively meet us in our uncertainty. And this question is actually what's going to guide us into our passage this morning. So, so Israel has just been through what felt like chaos in the plagues. Like, as, as God started doing all of this stuff in Egypt, he started uh, unwinding, he started putting their gods to shame, he started really undoing everything that was there, and Israel has just got to, like, take this back seat and watch all of it happen, and now they're moving out of Egypt. They're on their way out, but nobody knows what's in front of them. Like, they know that somewhere far off is the promised land, right? But nobody, like, there's a lot of uncertainty as they begin to take their first steps out of Egypt. And it's kind of like this question, okay, we watched God, like, do the plagues and, like, bring us out, like, start to bring us out. He's rescuing us, but, like, what next? Like, what, what comes next after this? They have a really uncertain future. And so, in the middle of our passage this morning, so we're in Exodus 13, Exodus 13, and then in the middle of our passage in verse 19, we get this really weird verse. Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. So, so, so this verse, it, like when you're reading the passage, you're reading the narrative, this verse kind of shocks you. It shakes you out of just your kind of rote reading because you're like, what in the world is happening here? Like we have not seen Joseph ever since like Exodus chapter one, when we were just introduced to what was happening in the Exodus. He kind of has disappeared off the scene. He's been gone. He's been dead for like 400 years, a very long time. And all of a sudden, his name comes back up here, and we have his bones in front of us. And as odd as, odd as it is, I believe that this, this verse is actually the center of gravity for our passage today. And it all hones in on one word, and that word is visit. That word is visit. So, so uh, you know what? They have been through uh, what seems like chaos and the plagues, and, and their question is, all right, like, what comes next? What's next for us? And, and what actually we hear is 
God is going to visit them. God's going to meet them. He's going to come to them in the middle of their uncertainty. So, so when you hear the word visit, this is, we have to kind of dig through some stuff here. So, so it, when you hear the word visit, like what's the first thing you think of? Like I think my grandparents are going to come over for a few days and they're going to bring some gifts with them and they're going to spend some time with us. They'll sleep over at the house, right? Like this is everything that I have. We'll, we'll have some good food. We'll play some games. And then eventually like they're going to leave. This is what the word visit means to us. But in the Bible, the word actually, when we see the word visit, it can be a little misleading because it carries way more weight than how we use the word visit. So it's used, it occurs actually some 300 times in the Old Testament. And, and it's notoriously hard to translate, but, but God, when God visits, like he doesn't just stop by for some food and some drinks and like stay the night and then leave. When God visits, something really specific happens. So, so this is what visit means when we look at it in scripture. When God visits, his concern for us becomes tangible. When God visits us, his concern for us becomes tangible. It becomes like you can uh, see it and touch it and experience it. Um, when God visits, so, so for what it's worth, God's special concern for Israel has been evident all the way throughout the story of the Exodus. Like all the way from the very beginning, we know that God is active for them, but they felt forgotten, right? They felt like God is maybe far off, especially as you spend 400 years not hearing from God. So God's care for them was no less before, but now they're going to experience it. It's going to become tangible for them. It's going to become very real for them in a moment. So other translators, there are other translations of the Bible. When they see this word visit, they say things like, you know, God's going to take care of you. It may have felt like God wasn't taking care of you before, but now it's going to become really tangible to you. God will help you. God will, some, some uh, passages, they say God will attend to you. So, uh, so as a dad, I, I care for my daughter. Uh, my care for my daughter up here standing on stage is, is no less than it would be if I were in the room with her, down on my knees, talking to her, playing with her, that sort of thing, right? My care in this moment right now is no less for her now than it would be then. However, when I go in there and I get down on my knees and I get face to face with her and I play with her and I talk to her and all of these things, she experiences my care for her in a very real way. And so when we talk about God visiting, God visiting, it's, it's that his care, his concern for his people in that moment becomes very tangible to them. So what does that have to do with this promise from Joseph? Well, well, Joseph, at this moment, like the fact that Joseph's bones and this promise that was made to him and all of this stuff, it, it comes up at this moment. It has massive implications for what's going on because the Israelites, they're getting ready to leave Egypt. And what's outside of Egypt? A lot of desert and wilderness and questions. Like, who knows what is going to happen next? Their future is uncertain, and they're asking questions like, what are we going to do? What is this going to be like? How are we going to be able to move through this and beyond this? And then Moses answers these questions for them and reminds them of this promise of Joseph, which is, your rescuer is going to visit you. 
Like his special concern for you is going to become tangible. He will actually come and meet you in the midst of your uncertainty and carry you to the other side. And so this passage, as odd as it is, um, it shows us something about what happens when God comes and visits us, when his special concern for us becomes tangible. So this is the guiding thought behind our our passage this morning. This is like kind of the overarching concept, and we're actually going to see three specific ways in which God exercises his special concern for his people, and they get to see it in very tangible ways. So uh, Exodus 13, verse 17, it says this. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the Philistines, although that was near, For God said, least the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. So this is is what we see. In this passage, we actually start to see God's leadership coming out. Like God's taking leadership of his people. And we learn something about God's leadership because ever since they've ended up in Egypt, these Israelites, they've been at the mercy of Pharaoh. They've been under the leadership of Pharaoh. And, and their leaders in, in the midst of Pharaoh's land were taskmasters. Like these were the people that they knew who were leading them, but now God is going to lead them. And so this passage, it actually gives us insight into the kind of leader that God is like how he actually leads the people. And so it says, least the people change their minds. Least the people change their minds. Like why would their minds change? Didn't, didn't they see God perform all of the miracles and the plagues? Didn't they see God like completely undo uh, the slavery that they have been under? Didn't they see God like wreck every single one of the Egyptian gods and put to shame the whole Egyptian religious system? Didn't they watch all of these things? But you know what? Like, they were really familiar with their situation. And you know what? Familiarity, it, it breeds comfort. It, it, it breeds control. It breeds, it, it breeds the sense that, you know what? I can understand my situation. And if, if I can at least understand my situation, even though I might not be in control at all, I at least get the sense that I'm in control if I'm familiar with something. And so there's this kind of temptation of Egypt. Even though Egypt was awful, it was very familiar to them. They knew how it worked. They knew how it was supposed to work for them. And so God knows that they will be inclined when things get very uncertain, when they don't know what's going to happen, when they feel this desire, oh, I don't have control anymore, he knows that they're going to be inclined to turn back to Egypt. He understands them. So verse 18, it says, But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt, equipped for battle. So God led them a different way to to protect them, right? He's taking them around. He said, you're going to go by the Red Sea. I'm not going to take you to the Philistines because I know you're not ready. But what does Israel think? Israel is equipped for battle. They're ready to go. What does that tell us? It tells us that God actually understands them better than they understand themselves. Like, they are ready to fight. They are ready to take on the Philistines. But God says, no, I know as soon as you walk into that battle that you're going to want to go back to Egypt, and I'm not ready to do that yet. So we're going to go this way. So God's leading them, and he knows what they can handle even better than they do. And what's interesting is, like, he could just push them out into the middle of something hard and wait and see what happens. But what he does instead is he practices this kind of like tender care for them, 
recognizing what they were going to be tempted to do. And so, so he leads them even as he is keenly aware of their brokenness and he understands them deeply. And so, so have you ever like something before? Have you ever built something before? Like just like pieced it together or, or, you know, something that I do, I do refinishing projects. So, uh, so we've refinished a number of pieces of furniture in our house and I can tell you every single imperfection on those things that I've refinished. Like nobody else, when they come to my house, nobody else notices those imperfections. Well, at least I hope not. Uh, But, but I notice them. I know what they look like. I know exactly where they are I, because I made this thing, right? I built it. I understand it at a deep level. And, and God's the same way with us. Like, he understands us very deeply. He knows exactly what we're going to be tempted towards. And so, so the first way that God exercises his special concern in this passage is, is this. When God visits, he leads us with understanding. When God visits, he leads us with understanding. So how do you find this tangible? You know those moments where uh, you are reflecting back on your life and you recognize if I had gone, if God had let me go this way, it would have ended up pretty bad for me, right? You look back and you recognize all of these times when God prevented you from going a certain way and then you actually have time to reflect on it and you know, I see God caring for me there. And I see God caring for me there. And I see God caring for me there. It's the same thing that's happening here. God is actively leading you in the moment. He's actually preventing you from taking certain steps and helping you to take other steps because he knows exactly how you work. And so, like, listen, so if if you find yourself in the middle of anxiety and uncertainty because you don't know what's coming next, like, what level of comfort should it give you? Like, God knows you better than you know yourself. Like God understands you better than you understand yourself. Why would he put something in front of you if he doesn't fully expect to be able to give you everything you need to walk faithfully with him through it? God understands you better than you understand yourself. This is the kind of leader that he is, and this should be a, a, a gr- source of great comfort for us because God's not a dummy, right? Like he knows who he made. So verse 19, it reveals the next way that God exercises his special concern. Verse 19 says, Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. For Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. So, so what were the bones of Joseph? Like, why are these significant? So for them, they are relics from the past. They're relics from the past that pointed them toward a future. So, so for us, just for what it's worth, like in terms of time, in terms of meaning, in terms of like how is this is separated, we're talking about the bones of William Shakespeare here. Like that, this is how old these bones are. Now, now uh, Joseph, he has probably been mummified, right? Like he's been preserved to a certain degree when they're carrying him uh, with them. But, but this, like this is how long this is separated. But the meaning for them is significant because in Genesis 50, Joseph, he's on his deathbed and he's there talking to his family and he has them make this promise. And why does he have them make the promise? Because he knows that they're not in the land that has been promised to them. He knows that God has promised something even better for their future than what they're experiencing right now. And he says, you're going to take me to be buried with my fathers, but you're not going to be able to do it now. It's going to come in the future. And so, so the idea is, he says, he gives this promise. When you carry my bones with you, 
When you actually get up to go and leave for the promised land, God is going to visit you. His special concern for you will become tangible. Okay, so now, 400 years have passed. They've lived under oppression. uh, And these words, they take on very new meaning to the Israelites. Because you know what? When you've been under oppression for all of these years and you start stepping out into the desert and it gets hot and it gets challenging, you are focused on the moment. Like, has anybody ever just, the weight of the world around you been so heavy that all you could focus on is what is right in front of your face right now? It's hard to take your mind off of what's right in front of you right now. And so, so you, you can't see the bigger picture that God is doing. And that impulse is only going to intensify. Like, yeah, they've been in the midst of slavery. Like, probably the thing that they're thinking is, how do I just survive this day? How do I just not get beaten this day and make it to the next day, right? Like, you're living day by day by day. You're, you're so trained to only focus on the right now. And that impulse to look back, it's going to intensify as they walk out into the wilderness. But this awkward event where they're carrying Joseph's bones with them, it actually has a purpose because what it does is it takes their eyes off of their situation and it lifts it up to what God is doing and has been doing for so long. So as they look at Joseph's bones, it it takes them back to the promise the promise that was given to them, that they were going to have kids, right? And that's happened, right? They look around and there are two and a half million people who are walking out of Egypt with them, right? So they get the the kids part taken care of, but then they have a land that they don't have yet. They got promised that land and they're they're heading off to that land. When you see those bones, those bones are actually moving in a direction. What it means is that it's time for them to go to that land. And they're ultimately going to that land so that they will be a blessing. Like, that's what God told them. I'm going to take you to a land, and you will be a blessing. And whoever blesses you, I will bless. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And and all the nations of the earth, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed through you. This is why I'm taking you to this land. And so all of this is in their mind. And so they have the promises of the past, and it's connected to the purpose for their future. So, uh, so what do we make of this? Like, what happens when God visits here? Well, when God visits, he calls us toward purpose. When God visits, he calls us toward purpose. He doesn't just visit and leave us purposeless, but he actually moves us in a direction. So you know what? The wilderness, when they're out in the middle of the desert, it's going to feel to them very purposeless. Because day after day, after day is just the same, kind of like the coronavirus. Day after day after day. It's like, is today Tuesday? Is it Sunday? I don't know. You know, all of this is going through their head. It's the same thing over and over and over. And all they're going to want to do is, how do I resolve what's happening right now? I know that I am tired right now. I know that I don't want to walk anymore right now. How is this going to resolve? But they carry the bones of Joseph with them to remind them that there actually is a resolution in their future. And that resolution comes along with them being a blessing. And this isn't just true for Israel. It's true of every single person that God rescues. Everybody that God rescues. Like, they were rescued for Egypt, but we actually, we've been rescued from the slavery of sin itself. Like, that's what we've been pulled from. And and this doesn't, like, this doesn't just end with the story of our freedom from slavery. Yay, like, yeah, that's great. Like, no, I mean, and that's a very good thing, right? But we are, we are saved. We are rescued from our slavery for a purpose. God actually moves us in a direction. So we work with our rescuer now 
to extend his blessings into every place that we inhabit. Like, we aren't just rescued from slavery to just kind of be rescued now, but it's, it moves us into extending God's blessing. You know what? We're called to go work together with God. We work together with him to show those around us what it looks like when he actually like rules in a place, what it looks like when God extends his blessing to people who don't deserve it. Like this is the purpose that we're given. We show these things in our spheres of influence. We work with our rescuer to extend his blessing towards others and actually invite them to understand who he is. This is the purpose that we're given. So, so Israel, you know what? They were rescued. And when they were rescued, God, God told them, I have a blessing that I want to extend to the families of the earth through you, to the nations that are going to be around you. And when God rescues us, God has blessing that he intends to extend through us and into our homes and into our families and into our workplaces and into our neighborhoods and into our social circles. Like every one of these places, they don't just become places that exist for their own purpose. But when God rescues us, he takes us into each in every single aspect of our lives and redeems all of it. So even though you might be working in a job that you don't love to work in, uh, even though you might be uh, working with your hands day by day, or, uh, you know, like, Jim, I know you're a plumber, right? Plumber, yes, Jim's working as a plumber, but you know what he's doing every single day is he's walking into homes, and, and, and he is making the awareness of the fact, like, people know he's a Christian. I know when Jim goes anywhere, people know he's a Christian. He walks into that home, and he shows people, like, what it looks like to do business in a righteous way, right? Like, he's taking, he's in each of his spheres of influence showing what it looks like to extend the Lord's blessing in this place. Every piece of our lives gets redeemed for a purpose when God rescues us. The church is full of rescued people. And what that also means is that this church, like we exist in this place, in this town, uh, in in this city, in this neighborhood to extend God's blessing. Like we are not just saved to to come here every Sunday and say we're saved, but we are saved for a purpose, to show what it looks like when God actually rules to extend his blessing to certain places. So so, uh, we talk about that happening in Jerusalem. So Acts 1-8, it happens in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So it happens in our neighborhood, and it happens in our city, and it happens in our region, and it happens to the ends of the earth. We come here, and we exercise that. So like last week, we had Great Commission Sunday. And, and for Great Commission Sunday, we raised $1,700 to support missionaries around the world. And that's over and above our general fund giving. Like that's norm, over and above what we would typically do. So all of that, it points to the fact that we're a part of this bigger purpose of God's blessing big extended in the world. And you know what? God is the kind of leader who lifts our eyes up above our current circumstances and reminds us that he's brought us from a certain place, but he's also moving us toward a certain place as well. So, uh, so we see the final way that they experience God's special concern in verses 20 and 21. And they moved on from Succoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they may travel by day and by night. So this is, this is really the moment where the tangible nature of God leading them becomes very evident. Because now, 
God is actually going to show up in a pillar of cloud and fire. It's not, this is not God making a pillar of cloud and fire show up and like go. He is the pillar of cloud and fire. God himself is with them as they go through the desert. Like this is not just something that he made. This is not something that he is providing for them. He himself is the provision. Like as they, so, so, you know, people have talked about, you know, what is the function of the pillar and cloud and, and the pillar of fire and all of this. And, and it definitely is to lead them, to provide them direction as they go through the wilderness. Some have actually said like the, the fire at night was big enough to keep Israel heated as the temperatures dropped in the wilderness. The cloud during the day, some have said that perhaps it even covered over their heads, kept them shaded from the sun and, and this sort of thing. But the idea is when he is with them, he is, his presence with them, it becomes tangible. It becomes something that they actually experience and feel. His constant care for them is, is always there. And so there's no question, like, how important would this be to people who have, the last 400 years, they've been uncertain if God was even there. Like, uncertain if God was even active. Uncertain if God even cared. But now, he's actually physically, observably, tangibly with them. So he says, okay, I'm leading you. I'm actually leading you. I'm with you, and I'm going to show you the way that you can go and fulfill your purpose. So verse 22. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. So get this. At no point ever in the wilderness, at no point would there be a question of God's presence. Like he's always there when things get tense. When it's a little worrisome. I don't know if we're going to make it past that. You know what's still there? Like God. God's still there in the pillar of cloud and fire. When they're pressed up against the Red Sea and the Egyptians are pursuing them, you know who's still there? God's still there. The pillar of cloud and fire is still there. When they're crossing the sea, you know who's still with them as they cross the sea and the water is gathered up on both sides like a wall? God's with them as they go through that. When they walk out in the wilderness and they start complaining to Moses. And they start saying, Moses, how could you bring us out here to die? You know who's still there? God is with them. Out in the middle of the wilderness. So the last thing that we see about the ways that we experience God's visitation is this. When God visits, he stays with us. He stays with us. So, uh, so when Jesus is talking to his disciples, he's talking about his death and his resurrection, and he says, I'm going to ascend to the Father. And, and the disciples get to, they start to get really nervous. They're like, but you're going to leave? Like, you're supposed to be here. You're supposed to set up the kingdom. You're supposed to do all of these things. How could you leave? How are we possibly going to thrive if you leave? But Jesus said, no, don't be afraid. Don't be nervous. I'm going to send the very spirit by whose power I've been able to do everything that I have been doing these three years. And not only that, but you are going to be able to do greater things than these because the Spirit is with you. God's very presence is going to be the the God of the universe, the God who created everything. He's going to take up residence inside of you. So Jesus told them they had a purpose and, and he rescued them. And then he said, behold, I am with you always even to the end of the age. And this is the same promise that's actually open to all of us who have faith in Jesus. The presence of God moves us into purpose, but then he actually goes with us as we walk into that purpose.
So today we've been, we've been talking about God visiting. How do we experience God visiting? How does God's visiting us become tangible? When God visits, his concern for us becomes tangible. Hold on to that. Don't forget that. So what does this look like? What does this look like? Um, Reverend, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., he was a man moved to purpose because of who he knew God to be. He said, he said these words about experiencing God's special concern. This, uh, he preached this in a sermon called Pilgrimage to Nonviolence. And, and this is, these are the words that he said. He, he talks about what it is to experience the tangible presence, the tangible visitation of God. He says, God has been profoundly real to me in recent years. In the midst of outer dangers, I have felt an inner calm. In the midst of lonely days and dreary nights, I have heard an inner voice saying, Lo, I will be with you. When the chains of fear and the manacles of frustration have all but stymied my efforts, I have felt the power of God transforming the fatigue of despair into the buoyancy of hope. So in the truest sense of the word, God is a living God. This God both evokes and answers prayers. So church, God, he has extended his tangible care towards us, his tangible and special concern towards us. And in our following of him, he invites us to follow him. He invites us as the leader who understands us. And in our following, we come to see him as the one who understands and the one who calls us to purpose and the one who offers his very own self to be our provision. So yes, like, is the world uncertain? Absolutely. And there is one who is absolutely equipped to meet us in the middle of our uncertainty and take us to the other side. So what? So what? Number one. Jesus the Christ has visited us. So Colossians 1, 21 and 22. It says this, And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So this is what the Apostle Paul, as he wrote these words for, for a church, God's people, this is what he's saying. He's saying, hey, if you lack any certainty about God's special concern for you as being a part of his people, let me tell you what Christ tangibly did that he might bring you near to God. Let me tell you what he tangibly did for people who were alienated and hostile in mind, people who hated him. So it says he reconciled. What does that mean? He reconciled. He actually purchased your freedom. He paid for your debt, the, the, the debt of your hate, so that you could be brought close to God. Like this payment with his blood, it is cleansing. And the cleansing with his blood, you know what that does? It actually makes it possible for God to take up residence in you. So Christ becomes tangible in that 
He gave himself for us. He paid this debt for us. He cleansed us and he made it possible for the Holy Spirit to take up residence inside of us. And then he says, and he did this with his body of flesh by his death. The reason the writer, the reason Paul says these things is because he does not want you to forget. You know what? People are going to tell you that maybe Christ, uh, maybe he was a spirit. You know, maybe he wasn't really human. Maybe he, was, uh, maybe he was just like kind of ethereal, right? And so what he did becomes meaningless at that point because if he's his spirit, then he can just become an idea. And you know what can't save you? An idea can't save you. But our Christ, he was tangible. He was physical. He was in a body of flesh and he literally died so that you could be saved. His payment could be felt and could be seen and could be heard. And so, this idea that, that was tangible, that, that, that could be witnessed, that is what brought you near to God. And, and then from there, he rose from death, physically, victorious. He sent the very same spirit who empowered him and who raised him from the dead to be with us. And this, this thing, this is what sets us apart as Christians. Like, these are not just static truths, but these are truths about a tangible, fully God, fully man, Jesus Christ, who came and gave himself and died, that we could be brought near to God. So, so what, number two? Alliance Bible Church, or any Christian from any church, is God's visitation to the places you inhabit. So Alliance Bible Church, we are God's visitation to Bartlett. So, so what is that? And for what it's worth, on top of that, you could also write in here, we are also God's visitation to each other. So we are God's visitation to Bartlett and we are God's visitation to each other. This is why, for what it's worth, the church and the Bible is called Christ's body. Because when we are called Christ's body, when we walk out into the world, we become what is tangible to our world of God. We become what our world can see and hear and touch and experience. We become those who carry the presence of God, who carry the visitation of God with us into our spheres of influence. So let me ask you this. How would the moments in your day, in your day today, that you spend with any person, Any person that would seem to pass you by, any person that's in your house, any person that is in your neighborhood, how would these moments change if you actually took recognition of the fact that in this moment I am a part of Christ's body? I am the visitation of God in this moment to this person. I am the tangible expression of God right now in in, in his special concern for these people. Like what, what if you actually might be the only representative of that special concern in the life of that person that we're talking about? How would the way that you encounter these people change if you actually said, you know what, I am God's visitation to each and every person that I come across? So what if Alliance Bible Church is is actually like the only representative to our next door neighbors all around us? Like, if we're the only tangible expression of who God is. And these what-ifs, they're not, they're not just static what-ifs. They're, they're actually true realities. And so we get this blessing that we're called to participate together with God to extend his visitation to other people. And so God has not just visited us, but he now takes us into this process of visiting others through us. And that is an amazing responsibility, and it's not one that we should take lightly, church. 
So you know what? Uh, it has been a privilege to share the word with you this morning. I'm going to pray, and then we are going to close with a song in worship. Would you pray with me, please? Lord Jesus, we recognize that you, you have visited us in quite an amazing way. Lord, you took people who did not deserve your faithfulness, and you decided that you would be faithful to them. Lord, you took people who could have at one time been called your enemies, people who hated you, and you brought us near. You visited us. You paid for us to be able to be with you. Lord, all of these things draw our attention to the fact that you are good, that you care for us, and that your concern for us has become tangible. So Lord, now we ask that you would help us as we understand that that the way your visitation works now, the way that you visit the world now, and the, the period of time that we're in, as we wait for your second coming, the way that you visit people is you choose to use your body, the church. So Lord, help us. Help us to set aside what, what is against you inside of us. That we might actually be true representatives of the God who expresses his special concern for people. Lord, we trust you with these things. Lord, we pray that you would encourage our souls. Lord, that we could see with hope that, that um, yes, the, the manacles of despair, they could be very heavy at times and people coming against us and the world feeling heavy, but Lord, would you give us the buoyancy of hope? to see what it is that you actually want to do in us and in the world around us and to see the kind of leader that you are as you do it. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.